From the Lean Enterprise Institute in Boston, this is the WLEI Podcast, where we share stories of people making the world better through lean thinking and practice. For more information about LEI, please visit lean.org. While falling short of achieving desired results may be labeled as a failure, a more productive way to frame this might be to say, it's only a failure if you don't learn. These wise words come from Mr. Isao Yoshino, who spent his career at Toyota, where he was one of John Shook's mentors, and participated intensely with author Katie Anderson in her new book, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn. In the following podcast, we dive deep into the nature of learning within a lean system and the need to structure experiments as opportunities to learn above all else. So welcome to the WLAI podcast, and it is just a pleasure to have Katie Anderson and Isao Yoshino for a conversation about Katie's new book called Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn, Lessons from Toyota Leader Isao Yoshino on a Lifetime of Continuous Learning. And I'm going to editorialize here. This is just a great book and I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's a just lovely, engaging, just an immediate book about the lessons of Mr. Yoshino from a lifetime of work at Toyota and the kind of magic of Katie's presentation of this is that it's very personal and personable and rooted in the kind of the details of his work and the animating force that continually drives him, which is a very people-centered approach to work in which learning and growth and improvement is the goal. It's very much about the process of learning through experimentation and reflecting on that. It's a very lovely, elegant book. And I'm just (laughs) being a huge advocate here. I really highly recommend it. And so I want to just first of all say welcome to Katie and welcome to Mr. Yoshino. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Mr. Yoshino, there's a really lovely foreword that you've written. And I've asked you to read us a, a paragraph from it. Please take us there. All right. I wanted to readers to recognize that I don't think of this book as my personal story. My own experience is not what it is important. It is just a learning experience of one person. The many lessons about Toyota contained in this book come, after all, from just one man who spent 40 years there. I believe my conversations with Katie and my memories represent the general feeling of Toyota people in my days. Through my specific experience or my own, this is not just Yoshino's personal history. It is like Katie asked all 70,000 people at Toyota about their experiences of learning to lead and leading to learn through me. And I directly answered. I'm answering about our culture at Toyota, and our own way of thinking. These stories are the history of 
my involvement at Toyota and the lessons I learned from my experiences. In many ways, it's not about me, it's about all of us. Thank you. And I, I think that's just one of the great things about the book is that it's very personal about you, but in a way that's very universal about your lessons. And I think it's propelled very powerfully by this theme of learning and very intentionally managing people to learn, structuring new work as experiments. And here's my question. So I think in the early years that Japanese management, for lack of a better word, was understood in the U.S., it was seen in a very technical way. A Six Sigma, qual, you know, QPC, statistical methods of controlling variation. It was very much kind of framed as mechanical improvement systems. And I think with the publication, for one, of John Shook's Managing to Learn, and a growing number of books, in, including The Lean Sensei, The Lean Strategy, that the system is increasingly viewed culturally and as a human system of mentoring, coaching, and very intentionally creating the conditions for learning. And can you speak to that? Would you think that's a fair assessment? How does that strike you? Yeah, I, I agree with uh, your opinion. And in the past, maybe 60s and 70s, many Japanese business people that try to learn all those technical skills, how to analyze and what kind of action plans to implement in the working place or things like that. So they are focusing on the techniques and skills and things but maybe during that period, I joined Toyota around mid-60s. So I started learning all those skills too. But at the same time, I learned how to coach people or how people treated the people working for them. So more or less people-oriented management is something new to me. And that is maybe something which makes Toyota different from the rest of other companies. And that is one of the things that I was so fascinated about Toyota. Katie asked so many questions about my mistakes because this book is full of mistakes, all those you know, bad experiences that I went through. Again, it's a very much important resource of learning. And so uh, that is what, uh, one of the things which I was so impressed with the way Katie put all those things in this book. But this is very, very interesting book. And I, I think that by doing so, we kind of get to a fullness of the system, of a system that's about working and living a life full of purpose and intention. And so, Katie, I want to ask you to read a brief passage from your preface on page 17. And when you're done, just please footnote it with your own comments, okay? All right. Over the two years leading up to the publication of this book, we talked several times a month, in the evening for me after my kids were in bed, and in the midday for Mr. Yoshino. We found ourselves laughing intensely on video calls when Mr. Yoshino remembered some long hidden stories, and we hope that they inspire some smiles from you as well. <laughs> 
And there have been memories of more difficult periods that have caused us to pause and revisit piece by piece over time. Through our discussions and friendship, we have both learned more deeply what it means to weave a life of purpose and intention. We have discovered that we share a common fabric of purpose to lead international lives, to help others discover their best selves and discover our best selves at the same time. Our conversations have led not only to a greater level of understanding from Mr. Yoshino about his life experiences, but have led me to have deeper insights both on my own practices and on principles that I have known about from reading about Toyota. From hearing Mr. Yoshino's stories and perspective, I've gained access to knowledge and insider stories that neither I nor you could have read in books until now. Excellent. So please tell us more about what you're saying there. Well, first in this, the book itself was created through collaboration, as Mr. Yoshino just explained how the pattern of our relationship was established early on when I first moved to Japan in 2015, and we first met and started talking in Mr. Yoshino's office. And it was in the early days of writing my blog and when I had, you know, being a lean practitioner living in Japan. And this became just how we talked and learned it from and with each other. And our relationship deepened over the course of the years. And I discovered for myself, not only how much I was learning from these conversations, but it really struck me how much these stories and experiences needed to be shared with the broader world. Not just Mr. Yoshino's wisdom and knowledge, which is deep and tremendous, but also the moments in history that he participated in at Toyota during some what I consider really important inflection points in Toyota's history when it was really making, or the leadership was making very intentional decisions about the culture it was developing. For example, Mr. Yoshino's role in the CONPRO program at the end of the late 70s and early 80s, which was a way to strengthen management capabilities for the senior management. And really what Mr. Yoshino says is what created and strengthened A3 thinking as the standard management practice, all the way through his role at developing the NUMI training program and hiring John Shook and being actually the model for Shook's manager character and managing to learn and more and more. And so these insider perspectives from someone who actually was there is so incredible. And that Mr. Yoshino really speaks from a place of humility of not only sharing all of the, the good experiences and the positive times, but really was willing to work with me in going deeper into the more challenging times and the times that he might consider a failed outcome, although he would say it's not a failure if you learn something new and can share and reflect upon that. To be able to offer that to the world is, is really uh, powerful and special to me, and I'm humbled and honored to be Mr. Yoshino's friend and his partner in creating this book. One of the things that gives this book a lot of grit, in my opinion, is its candor. Mr. Yoshino, you're really unafraid to share moments of learning and they're not all sugar and sweet and, and, and light. You talk about having a bad boss and you present that as a learning experience. You talk about your work with the water ski boat that didn't take flight. <laughs> what type of material am I referring to? Just talk about your quote failures or just experiences that didn't 
turn out to be ideal and yet which were, um, were you know, fruitful and productive for you in learning? Well, actually, when Katie started to join me, she came over from Tokyo to Nagoya very often. She started asking many, many, many questions to me. So I was wondering why she asking me so many questions. Of course, I know I knew that she is very curious about this crazy guy from Toyota just, you know, wanted to go to the U.S. But I found out that she would like to know what are the key elements to make me feel happy or make me fail or what are the learnings that I got out of failure, out of success. So she is interesting a little bit more deeper yep. core things behind all those practices. So I was so surprised to find that when she start asking what is, it's not exactly like this, but she is asking about what is the cause of the failure. She just, in a very nicely manner, she asks more deeper, you know, about what was the cause of the problem? What did you do that? What you didn't do that? So what she is asking in a very nicely manner. So this is really the first time in, in, in my entire life that somebody else asked what was the cause of the failure? Because Nobody wants to talk about your failure, talk about, you know, revisit your failure because it hurts you. So, but she keeps asking nicely manner. So it makes me feel very, very good because, oh, she's asking me, asking, she's advising me to revisit the time I failed, the time I succeed and try to find the cause of the success, cause of the failure. So she's and helping out to dig down all those secret things which I could not have done that. So that was really <clears throat> the very, very surprising moment that I found out. To make a long story short, I started to revisiting. I don't feel bad because I felt very privileged to uh, go back to the failure and talk about my failure. And that together with Katie, and I tried to find what was the benefit no, no, what was the learning I learned from the failure? So that was really the first time that I vi revisit all those core things which made me succeed, made me failure. So uh, that is really one of the fantastic moments in our relation with Katie. In the book, you, you say mm -hmm. it's only a failure if you don't learn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like we maybe even using that word too often. This is not a book about, you know, my, my brilliant failure. It's very much a book about framing work as experiments that are designed to produce knowledge and personal growth. That's my read of it. You spend 80 pages talking about trying to develop a water ski boat for Toyota. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you to just summarize that and tell us what happened and what your conclusions, what were your learnings from it? Well, actually, I was not a boater. I am not a boater yet, even now. But this was not my another assignment within Toyota's organization. So when I joined the Marine Division, I was trying to find out what is the purpose of me being assigned? What is my personal goal? Then I was not so much interested in the boating business, future boating business in the Japanese market because I don't see any future success. But since it was my job to do that domestic market, but 
Then someday I ran into the guy who knows so many things about in the U.S. and he advised me, Yoshino-san, just do you know that U.S. board market is about 30 times as big as Japanese one. So you are now dealing, trying to find some business chances in that very small, tiny world. But you have to know that American voting market is 30 times as big. So I did not know that. And I did not know anything about water ski boat business, water ski boat itself. So I was interested to find some possibility to start some business. And I wanted to do something new I did not want to do the, the follow the regular courses that people already paved for me. And even though I was not a boarder, so I wanted to find something interesting <laughs> in my new assignment. That is how it started. So I did not intentionally start a water ski boat business, but as I, I wanted to do something new which excite me. So you wanted to learn? Yes, I wanted to learn something. I want to do something meaningful for me. Then I ran into the idea of a water ski boat. I did not know anything about it. I started learning one by one. All my experience in the boat business, it, everything is new to me. So no wonder we make huge amount of mistakes. But it's natural because we are new. We do not know anything about boating. But still... That was very, very good experience for me to be on the stage that you don't know anything, but then you don't get bored, but you try to find something new, something interested, and you can put all your energy in. Yeah. So uh, that was how I started both business scheme. Does it make sense? Yes. One of the things that's really nice about the book is there's a sense of humility, of humble inquiry, that you and all those working earnestly at Toyota take towards new ventures, that nobody's considered an expert. There are those who have more experience, but it's this, I guess, a mindset that is what drives you into new ventures. And I'm going to ask, kind of relate that question to Katie. Talk about your mindset. Talk about what you learned as this process of generating these stories and forming them into a book, really familiarizing yourself with the type of culture that Mr. Yoshino worked in and propagated. What was happening for you in terms of how it shaped your own mindset and attitude? Over the course of the six years that we have been knowing each other and talking, I, and I think that maybe Mr. Yoshino describes it well, it's like an onion that we kind of peeled back more and more. The concepts that I had known from practicing lean for many years, primarily in healthcare organizations, and then starting my own consulting practice. So I was already grounded in the principles, but the nuances and the richness that I discovered through our conversations was really important to me. And then also, just even though Mr. Yoshino says this book is not about him, there is something very special about his unique story and experience as well, in terms of the things that he did. And I learned so much about how you really can embody these people-centered leadership practices, even in times of challenges. And it doesn't mean it's always easy or it comes naturally, but how the humility that he shows in sharing that and also the reflection of learning, and as he says, relearning more about his life and his leadership style as well. When we started the 
the concept of writing a book, I originally thought that it would be organized by more thematically organized by chapter you know, on a certain topic and then tell maybe a few stories within that topic. But as we went deeper and deeper into the stories, I realized, except for maybe a few short vignettes, which is how some part of the book is presented in the earlier stages, they sort of fit under maybe one major theme. These other experiences that go across multiple years, there's not just one neat leadership lesson in there. And there's so much richness of learning and experience. I was really challenging myself about how do I tell the story and the completeness of the story so it's not fragmented across multiple chapters. And then I learned and discovered through conversation with Mr. Yoshino about the concept of warp and weft and the two types of thread through weaving is really important. Then the sense of purpose and known things in our life, which are the strong warp threads, the vertical ones in the loom, and then the ones that are discovered and incorporated and more fluid and changing really represent the things that we discover and learn in our lives. And it became clear to me that was the way to tell the story. I'd always said to Mr. Yoshino, I felt like there are two strong threads in his life, threads of purpose, of moving to the United States, being an international person, having experiences outside of his small community in Japan. And this other one that was really focused on helping and developing people and learning. So it was on that frame that I decided to tell the story. And when I did, when I sort of shifted my own mindset, of what I conceived the book to be and allowed the stories to emerge from there, it actually opened up really the telling. Even towards the end, for example, the water ski boat uh, experience, Mr. Yoshino and I spent a few years diving deeper and deeper into that story because it's very complex. And even Mr. Yoshino was having a few new memories, even as we were going to press. And <laughs> so I was like, this is an amazing comment here. And I was able to sneak it in, but then we had to put a stop. So the memories still are coming. Book two or follow-up articles will have to come. Two quick things. The warp and weft metaphor has special resonance because of Toyota's history. That before it made cars, it was a textile maker. Do note that in the book. <laughs> It's a great metaphor. On page 30, you say, our fabric of purpose is shaped by the relationship between the known and the discovered. And you use explicitly identify the both. One thing I loved about the book is it circles, it provides context and color to lean as we know it now in the States. It talks about Numi and it talks about our friend John Shook who led LEI and certainly modeled a character in his book, Managing to Learn, on Mr. Yoshi. And they've written stuff for the, the Lean Post, as have you, Katie. I had the honor of playing a minor part on Managing to Learn. It was really interesting to work with John because at times he would be confounding. Like he would hold things up. It wasn't to hold things up, but it was, it was structured reflection for the group where we'd have to examine what we were doing ever more deeply. It's the reason why, for example, his book ended up with a two-column format, because he didn't want the book to be a tools book that people just applied mechanically. And so finally, we decided to make two books, one from the perspective of the person writing the A3 and one from the manager. And I think this was meant to reflect his own experience. 
and then finally we just said let's just combine them and we did them side by side which i think worked but my point is that working directly with john was learning experience for me and not always directly sometimes it was indirect because it was being put in a position where i guess learning was kind of built in which is i think a long way of circling back to mr yoshino <laughs> can you talk about ways that you consciously did or learned how to build in hansei reflection and learning into the work of managing and leading others i don't know what to say but within toyota there are a couple of different cultures which is different from uh, from other companies one of them is the learning or hansei learning come from hansei first of all if you make mistakes then you regret what you have done see so many people don't want to just come back just want to forget about it then uh, people wanted to try something new without learning some lessons of their failure but within toyota hansei is so important review coming back so pdca the c check process of pdca always coming back and check what i have done what i have not done and not try to learn something out of that so that is culture exists within toyota so uh, learning is very very important but learning come from hansei practices in order to make hansei that you have to just look back you have to face the facts what you have done what you have not done what you sh- could have done that and all those things so you have to go back to the old history and so that is one of the good aspect of toyota's management style and without blaming somebody and that is one of the things i learned from toyota and also i learned by working together with katie she asked me so many questions then that was the time that uh, oh she asked this question i don't i did not have a deep thinking about it let me go back and i start going back to my old memories and re- learn something out of it actually reviewing the facts and then come up with some learning so that type of actions i did it it started with katie's katie's question so it's i think that is very very important and also i still teaching in my university and when i talk with my students i find out that they don't have any target future target in their life because they are too young so they have a bright future for maybe maybe millions of years now they they cannot live more than 100 years so they have to have some target in life so that is one of the things i wanted to share with my students having a target then what are the action plans to attain the target that is very simple so that is one of the things that i would like to share with my students so i learned so many things through my career within toyota and same time through working together 100 hours working with kd i learned i really learned the importance of those key factors in life i don't know whether i answer answer your question but uh, it's super and there it is uncommon for companies to create cultures where learning is designed in that i think the default is that failure is looked down upon mm-hmm. and not reflected on and that people are very instrumentally looking to achieve quick results as easily as possible yeah 
I guess it's another way of asking, what do you think are some of the most important formal mechanisms? Obviously having a Katie asking questions to <laughs> capture knowledge, but oh. within companies, as opposed to having an abstract culture of learning, what are the kind of most important tools, methods, practices that Actually, intentionally uh, create a, a culture of learning and reflection? As far as I know that Toyota started as a weaving machine company, but they failed or they have so lot of failures and even automobiles. So the top management at the time when I was uh, with Toyota, they have a lot, a lot of terrible experience in the past when they started uh, as a small company. So they know the, how important it is to learn something out of their failure. They don't want to repeat the same stupid things again. They determine. So top leaders were so serious about learning. And Mr. Toyota and all those people are very serious about learning from the past, learning and also keep those memories always in the corner of their mindset. Don't repeat it again. Then what should we do? So that type of mindset always stays in their mindset. So again, Leaders are very much serious about learning and about sharing the experience and make employees learn something. And that type of concept or it's a stay there. And uh, I hope that that still stays there at the current Toyota. So uh, to answer your question, leaders are very, very important. And to be humble, to be a good listener, to be consistent, to be ready for learning, to make people feel like trying something new to learn something and don't be afraid of making mistakes. Things like that, that type of culture is, was created by great top leaders with, of Toyota. It strikes me that practices or tools such as an A3, which mm -hmm. is a very formal tool in one aspect, mm -hmm with the way you, you fill it out and have somebody put their personal stamp on it. It's structured storytelling that builds mm -hmm. in facts and going to Gemba and the identification of problems as very tangible gaps to be closed. It feels like over the years, Toyota developed tools such as A3 and value stream mapping that were very mindful efforts to capture knowledge, that they were a knowledge, I forget how Fukushima puts it in his book, The Knowledge Generating Company, that they implemented methods and systems that were more than an abstract desire to learn and reflect. Does that sound accurate? That you learn very specific ways to operationalize this desire to generate knowledge from experience. I don't know whether I understand your question right, correctly. Can you re re repeat again, please? Katie, help me out. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so certainly going to suggest that the A3 process as a thinking and communication process is one of those ways in which Toyota 
really created structures to be able to enable the thinking and the reflection and the communication. And that was part of the experience of ConPro, which John Shook and Mr. Yoshino have written about in the Lean Post. And of course, you can read more details in the book as well. But it was very intentional, sort of 20 years after the quality circles and the whole push to what we probably the beginnings of real the lean productions principles were emerging in the 60s. They realized that, as Mr. Yoshino has shared, that management capabilities were atrophying and that they really needed to put in place structures that would create the habit and the systems for people to communicate. Then that continued forward. So I'll put it back to Mr. Yoshino, maybe reflecting on that time about the process of retightening the belts to really create systems and processes that supported the types of management capabilities that Toyota wanted to foster in the organization. Okay, now I, I started to understand that a little bit more clearly. <laughs> you are so sophisticated, you too. Too <laughs> sophisticated. I'm too simple. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. anyway, I, I will be talking about A3, how Toyota people perceive A3. You know what? In many cases, many people believe that A3 is a very, very important format. You have to keep it. You have to strictly keep the style of A3. But within Toyota, it's slightly different. A3 is a format that you have to use it to express something. A little bit complicated, then you have to use A3 because it's a big space, two times as A4 size. So you have a lot of space, so you can put everything on it. But A3, that's right, that's right. Tom. Just held up a, a sheet of A3 paper, sorry. <laughs> so within, within Toyota, of course, it's in 60s, A3 started to, Toyota already started to using A3 before Dr. Deming came in, but A3 is a kind of tool that you can express all the key elements you want to convey on the A3. It's just a tool. So within Toyota, we don't have to stick to that A3 form formalization too much, but as long as you put everything you believe important into A3, then that is a good size because it's A4 is smaller size. Two pages of A3 is too big to read. So A3, one sheet of paper, when you give it to somebody, then the, the boss will read from the left up corner to the right corner, just go through that while you are listening to the presenter. It is a tool, but at the same time, it's a kind of tool and also it's a way to express your thinking into one space. What are the things that was recommended in, during the Campro days it's in the 70, 79 and 80s? And we, my boss, Mr. Suguran, and our team just recommend or always talking about how A3 should be when we receive the, the, the question from, from all the people. A3 is just a format. When you try to put everything important into A3, you have to go through all the documents, all the evidence, all the data very seriously, whether you should put into the A3 or you, you don't need it need to put it, it's less important. You will select only key things to put it in A3. You do that process before you start writing A3. So that process is so important than actually than writing A3. So before you start writing A3, you will do two essays before you start writing. Sort it out what is important, what is less important. So that process is so important. Were you a tough boss? 
if some did you make people write and, and revise their A3s frequently? Sometimes I do. And I, actually, I'm now writing an A3 document for my university proposal because I wanted to start something new classes. So I wanted to put in A3 size. It's not too difficult for me because I've, I've been used to do that. But I would like to surprise my colleague professors that A3 is very good to discuss everything on the key things because they are so used to discussing over three, four, five pages of A4 and looking back and forth and, and getting mixed up. So I would like to do that because it's a great tool you can put again. It's so important to, to, to prepare selecting all the key things before you writing A3. That is the beauty of A3. So within Toyota, of course, A3 is so popular. People are advised to put all the key important things when it's complicated, A3 is recommended because it's a great tool that you can learn how to select important things from less important things. It's a very important tool to select key things. Writing A3 is a result of those practices. So I believe those practices, selecting important things, those practices may be more important than writing A3. It says to me, that the ways of capturing knowledge are simple conceptually, that at their heart, essentially they're simple. Mm -hmm. And yet they're challenging to execute and they require kind of iterations and experiments. And I'm not gonna say failures, but drafts and iterations. And I'm going to say that because I'm going to circle back to the book <laughs> and say, you know, even the book itself is a specific way of capturing a wealth of knowledge and putting it into a format that people can learn the tools, reflect on them and, and apply them. I'm doing that very intentionally because we've been going 45 minutes and I think we should wrap it up. I do want to once again mention the title. Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn by Katie Anderson. It's lessons from Mr. Yoshino. And I'm just going to once again give it a three thumbs up on my part. You know, really recommend it highly to not just lean thinkers, but to anybody who's passionate about learning and purpose. It has a lot to offer. I think with that, I'm going to give a very gracious thank you to Katie Anderson and Mr. Isao Yoshino. Thank you both for coming on this podcast. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much, Tom. Huge thanks to Katie Anderson and to Mr. Yoshino for this invigorating conversation. I want to thank Lori Moniz and Pat Panchak for their assistance with this episode of WLAI. And above all, I want to give special thanks to Emma Ripp, our technical whiz who has been with this podcast since its launch and worked tirelessly to make it work. She will be moving on. And of course, thanks to you, our listeners. Please share any questions, thoughts, or suggestions with us at pod, P-O-D, at lean.org.